Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I'm going to read verses 28 and 29 from the message translation. Do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship, deeply reverent before God. For God is not an indifferent bystander. He's actively cleaning house. Catch this word. Torching all that needs to burn. And he won't quit until it's all cleansed. God himself is fire. King James Version and the NIV Version says, and we're probably familiar with it, God is an all-consuming fire. But I like the way uh, Eugene Peterson uh, translated it. God himself is fire. Deuteronomy, Paul is really drawing from this passage in Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, verses 23 and 24, also the message translation. So stay alert. Don't for a minute forget the covenant which God, your God, made with you. And don't take up with any carved images, no forms of any kind. God, your God, issued clear commands on that. God, your God, is not to be trifled with. He's a consuming fire, a jealous God. Malik texted me this past week. Malik Edwards, who prophesied for four hours a few weeks ago, he got everybody in the room. We didn't leave till two o'clock that day. How many of you were here that day? You know, you know. How many of you wish you were here that day? Okay, y'all, it was, it was, it was fire. <laughs> uh, he texted me this week, this message. I just had a vision and saw a fire coming from heaven, hitting your new location. I'm gonna give you another chance to respond to that. I just had a vision and saw a fire coming from heaven, hitting your new location. It will be a place of renewed passion for the glory and majesty of God. People will come from far and wide to see the people of God who burn for him. So I want to talk about our vision. Our vision hasn't changed. Our focus is getting a little 
clearer. We see through a glass, uh, but we know one day we'll really see. But but the 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 fog is being wiped away from the lens, and focus is getting better. We can see more clearly what God has invited us to. We can see we can, with more earnest uh, passion this claim for the promise of God's glory. Just Jesus. We want just Jesus. Jesus is fire. Galatians 6 and 9, you don't have to, this scripture, I didn't give them to put up. I'm just going to read it. Let us not become weary in doing good. Don't get weary in this journey, people. Let's hold on. Let's hold on. Do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I'm not giving up. My, my passion is only, the flame is only leaping higher. Right now, I feel like we're on this, we're this thing. I kind of had a flash of a vision on Wednesday at prayer where it's like, uh, you see in the movies where they've got uh, the, the bad guys are going to blow up the bridge before the train can get there, right? And, and so they light a fuse. And, when, and, and so the, the, the flame is already on the fuse and the fuse is just kind of like sparkling and it's moving and and when we get to this place this is what I want to tell you this is what I see us where I see us the fuse is burning and it's getting closer and closer and closer and then when this explosion happens it's this is this is going to happen as we move into the new place this explosion I want it to happen today I want the explosion to begin and, and so that it thrusts us into our next place. But the, the important thing, and Bishop Garland talked about this last week. Remember, he told the story, I wish we had held hands a lot sooner. Do you remember that story? So I'm just telling you, guys, it's time to join hands and get ready for the thrust. It's time to join hands and get ready for the thrust of God as he pushes us into this next season of fire. Yes, yes. Just Jesus. We join hands because we, we have, that, that's why I paused. That's why I paused at the, at the first song and, and challenged you. Uh, I understand when you have new people in the room and there are some new people and they're kind of figuring out what it is we're doing and, or we may be singing something they don't know, but I was seeing people that have been coming here for a long time lost in their thoughts. I saw young people and old people lost in their thoughts, not engaged in that first song of worship. This is, this has to change. We have to walk through the doors with thanksgiving in our hearts so that when we take our first breath on the first song, we go in because we're after Jesus, just Jesus only Jesus. We're not here to sing a list of songs or go through a ritual of what we call worship. Worship is not what happens on Sunday. It's just one of the vehicles that we get to drive on a certain day of the week. Worship is the posture of our heart that we live in. It's a way of life. It's who we are. It's what happens when we wake up in the middle of the night and we can't sleep. 
Instead of getting frustrated for not being able to sleep, we worship. Sometimes we get up and go to the closet and get on our knees and just worship because it's who we are. We think it's got, that it's got to have a melody to, to take us on this journey of worship. It is, it's the language. It's the language of the kingdom. Worship is the sound our lives make. And, and for people that burn for him. Burning for him doesn't only happen on Sundays when we gather. In fact, well, let me keep going. So I start imagining this flame of God, the fire of God, the all-consuming God. And I started thinking about references in Scripture. Moses was in the wilderness. He had fled Egypt, and he spent time and got married and was with his father-in-law for for 40 years. And uh, at the end of that time, he's, he's, he's on a, a walk and he sees a flame burning that catches his attention and he turns and it's a bush on fire, yeah. but not being consumed. And he draws close to it to observe it and he hears a voice that says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. It was the fire of God that got Moses' attention. It's the fire that gripped his heart and said, okay, I'm a new man. It wasn't until the encounter with the fire did Moses take the journey back in to challenge Pharaoh and to lead God's people. Isaiah, in the sixth chapter, he, he saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. You're familiar with this. I challenge you to go read it. Isaiah, the sixth chapter. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said these words, I saw the Lord and his train filled the temple. And his reaction to seeing the Lord, he made this declaration. He said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, this is the prophet of the day. This is the man who's supposed to be the highest level of, of authority in the kingdom, in the earth, in that day with the people of God. And this man, this pastor, this shepherd of God's people, this prophet, sees the Lord and he said, woe is me. But then an angel comes and he took coal from the fire at the altar before God. And it was after the fire touches him, he steps up and God says, who will go? And the same man who said, woe is me, is now saying just a few verses, here am I, send me. It's amazing the change that will occur when the fire of God comes. It was in the second chapter of Acts. What started with 500 people, and some people got tired of the prayer meeting. You ever been in those prayer meetings? And, and then people just start, nothing's happening. 
You know, you're, you're, you're trying, you're pushing. We've all been there, right? We pray and it feels like I ain't getting nowhere. And, but we just keep, we keep living by the principles and the teachings of prayer from scripture and we push and it's not about feeling. But if you hang on long enough, you'll feel a lot. So there were 500 people that started out in this upper room. We think sometimes we envision this as kind of a small room, but it was big enough for 500 people. And then 380 had jobs or something, responsibilities, and they left the room. Imagine how they must have felt when they heard the report of what happened after they left. So 120 were in the room in one mind and one accord. And the fire of God swept into the room. It tells us, the scripture literally tells us that cloven tongues of fire set upon each one of them. And it wasn't until the fire came that the people could leave the room and turn the world upside down. The church is born and the fire is still burning today. We go through our seasons where we grow weary and well-doing, but the flame is still alive. I've shared stories in the first three years of Dwell Church about some of the encounters I've had. We, uh, on our first album that we released the, a month before Dwell opened, our Dwell worship album. How many of you have that Dwell album? And if not, why? <laughs> I give you permission to go to Apple Music or Spotify or whatever your whatever your preference is, right now you can go with the membership that you already have and you can download Dwell, a live worship experience with David and Nicole Binion and Tasha Cobbs is on there and William McDowell and Travis Green and me and Gracie, Madison Binion, Madison Grace Binion, she's on there. Did you say, who was that, that Zaheer said that? Zaheer, he's a Gracie fan. Um, but I even tell the story on that album of, of the, an encounter that changed my life. And I will just tell you, the story that I tell on that album, your homework is to get the album if you don't have it and listen to, listen to the testimony before the song, I Can't Stay Here. I'm just sick of tidy church. No more tidy church for me. Let me try to stay on my train of thought. About six weeks ago, it was Labor Day weekend. Nicole and I were in Nashville, Tennessee at Lyle Phillips Church uh, leading worship. We went to his conference. Uh, What was the name of the conference? Presence Presence People. I had to go when I heard the name of the conference. So we just went. We took our staff and we had to go be a part of Presence People because... I'm presence people. Yeah, yeah. You're presence people. Yeah. 
we are all presence people. We live, and if that's not your vision, then you probably should find another church or hang on until you get so infected by Jesus. This is more infectious than any COVID virus. If you allow yourself to get in close proximity, you're going to breathe it in and you, you're like, it's over. It's just, it's just over. Uh, so we went to this, this conference and it was incredible. The Lord started aligning us with, with uh, different pastors at different places who are hungry for the same things that Nicole and I are starving for the people that dwell to experience. And so uh, the, the story that I tell on the album was this, this encounter that, that occurred 24 years ago when the glory of God invaded the church where Nicole and I were worship pastors. Cole, you were pregnant with Cole. Cole was just swimming around on the inside of... No, no, no. You, you know, he was still, he was smaller than nine months. Nine months, uh, we, we resigned after he was a month old. Uh, so he's still in developing. Nicole was developing and Cole was developing. And, um, but so we're, at, we're in this meeting at this church and just, I don't even know how to articulate the degree and the weight of God's presence that exploded in the room. The most frightening encounter in the presence of God that I've ever known. Uh, it was terrifying but exhilarating at the same time. And we had a grand piano on the stage and I climbed underneath that piano. Not even sure what I should do. And I'm just, I have my hands up on my head and all I can do is groan at the weight and the terror of God. And I groaned, and I, uh, I don't even know how to react physically to it. So I thought, I thought I should pray. And so I tried to find words to help me express what I was feeling, but there were no words to describe this. Then I thought, maybe, maybe I should just pray in tongues. And I tried to start praying in tongues, but even that felt inadequate for the weight of his presence that I was feeling. And I just remember just laying there and I had no idea, but I was there for five and a half hours on my face, just groaning. I thought it was, it felt like 30 minutes and I finally got up on all fours and I looked at my watch and a service that began, really it was a prayer meeting that began at 4.30. And then at six o'clock is when the invasion from heaven came and now it's 11.30 p.m. and I don't even know what to do with myself. And I get up on my hands and knees and pull up myself out from underneath the piano and, and it's now 11.30 p.m. I'm like, uh, I was just dumbfounded. And I never knew that this place even existed. 
I mean, we hear the stories. I quoted from Acts about the cloven tongues of fire. And we hear it, but we're so used to hearing it that it doesn't affect us when we hear about fire on people's heads. Because we know so much about scripture and so the impact, the intended impact isn't occurring because we're just used to hearing that story. So it doesn't grip us. So, so, so that's where I was. I didn't know. I, I, I didn't know. I, I saw, when I was 13 years old, I saw my dad lay hands on a dead woman and life came back into her. And not just life, not, not just life, but this woman died and she, because she had cancer, a, a, a tumor on her brain the size of a grapefruit. And so she died. She was gone for 30 minutes or so. And they started praying. And my dad just called life back into her. And she came back. And she went to the doctor. And not only, you know, nobody believed that she was dead and rose again. But then they start running tests. And the tumor has disappeared. Some time during the course of death and resurrection, the tumor disappeared. Maybe that's why God allowed her to die, so that tumor could just not have oxygen or blood to live with. I don't know what caused it, but the tumor disappeared. So I have seen and known the touch of God. I, I, just miracles, 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 and more miracles just traveling with my dad and my four brothers and my sister in a Greyhound bus and seeing, it was just common, miracles, miracles, miracles. But I never knew that the weight of God's glory was possible to come into a room and tear us to shreds. And it's been the driving force of everything that I do, it's, it's always living with the memory of what's available and the disappointment of not having it when I know it's possible. But it's, it, 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 it's, it's trying to figure out what were the ingredients that caused him to come, that stirred the heart of God, that brought him to this place. I think now is the time I will sweep in. And so I'm just like, I just got to put Jesus on the menu. Yeah. Just Jesus. You're going to come in here and we're going to serve you. We're going to bring you to your seat and we're going to hand you a menu. And the only thing on the menu, pages and pages and pages of a menu, but it's just Jesus. Jesus. Just what do you serve here? Just Jesus. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. The closest thing to this kind of glory are these stories that we know uh, when Samuel the prophet was alive and Saul was king. But before Saul had become king, the, the priests would, uh, would kind of lead the people of God. And so Eli was the prophet at the time and he had two sons and, and the Philistines were at war with the Israelites. And so without seeking the advice from God, without uh, 
seeking after just, just what to do about this battle, they decided that because previous times when the ark was present, victory would come. So they presumably took the ark of God into battle. But they were at a place of disobedience. And, and so they lost the battle and the Philistines took possession of the ark. When the ark ended up in the camp of the Philistines, they sent it to five different villages. And everywhere they sent the, the ark, things started happening that I won't go into detail. But it was very painful, difficult things. King James, King James uses the word... Emerod. You talking. He said, Pastor said, you talking. Emerods. Can you imagine, to break it down into English, hemorrhoids. <laughs> Y'all, this is funny. When you think about it now, this is funny. The kind of outbreak in the camp of God's enemy was hemorrhoids. I don't know if that means anything to you. It means something to me. I've had experience. (laughs) The glory is just so heavy. You know, if you do heavy lifting, sometimes you end up with. And so, so. So they finally, after five different villages, and, and it's breaking out in each one, and they're like, what do we do? So they make a cart, and they get two oxen, and they make this decision. We're going to put the ark on this cart, and if the cart, they make a deal. They just decide. It's kind of like when you fleece God. If this ark is, is carried, if these oxen just... They're just aimless. There's nobody directing it. We're just going to let the oxen take it. And if it takes it back to the camp of the Israelites, then we know this was a, uh, this was a curse from God upon us. If it doesn't go, we'll know it was just kind of one of those hemorrhoid coincidences. (laughs) So, so, it gets into the camp to, to the village in Israel and to the people of Israel and the people greatly rejoice. Let me see. I wrote it. Then I, I typed it the name because I. It, it was the people of Beth Shemesh. Beth, B-E-T-H, not a woman's name. Beth S-H-E-M-E-S-H, Beth Shemesh. Maybe there's another way to pronounce it. I'm just going to pretend that I know that's exactly how you're supposed to say it. Beth Shemesh. And men from this group of people, Israelite people, men out of curiosity looked inside the ark and 70 men were stricken dead. These were God's people. These were the people of Israel, and they, out of curiosity, took a look inside to see what was there, and the, and the glory of God struck them down. So they inquired over, uh, there was a group of, they sent, one translation, they sent emissaries over to uh, It's called Kiriath-Jearim. 
that may be wrong as well. I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. They sent people to Kiarath Jiren. And so this, the people came and they took the ark to the house of Abinadab. And in First uh, Samuel, this this story you can read it, get the get an account, and just read it yourself. First Samuel six and chapter seven. When when they get the ark, they put it in the house of Abinadab, and the word says it sat there for twenty years. In the process, Saul becomes king. Never in his reign does he. Think to inquire of the Lord and the ark of God's presence. Not once does he think to inquire of the Lord at the ark to even bring it into the city of God. So Saul becomes rebellious. He becomes jealous of this rising star, this giant killer, this worshiper who, who... Saul discovers that when he comes and plays his heart before him, when he's got this, he's in a bad mood and this young man would come play his harp and the, bla- and the bad mood would just kind of dissipate. Yeah. And he kills giants and the stories that he killed bears and, and lions when he was taking care of sheep, there's a fire in his heart. Yeah. So David becomes king. We know the story. Don't have time to cover it all. But David becomes obsessed with this ark. And so he, he didn't fully rationalize the situation and decides out of a good heart to go get the ark and bring it to Jerusalem. But they get it. And you can now. Now we have to jump over into Second Samuel about the. Uh, I want to say, the seventh, sixth, and seventh chapter of Second Samuel. Now, so we that's twenty years have passed, and David now is going for the ark. So they go to the house of Abinadab, and people. There's great rejoicing. They put it on an ark. Now the original ark has been destroyed because when they brought it, they broke that ark up into pieces and made an altar. So they remembered how the Philistines carried the ark and they built a cart the way the Philistines did. And so as they get to a certain place, uh, a threshing floor, uh, the, the, the oxen stumbles and the cart starts to shift and Uzzah reaches and touches the same ark that those 70 men tried to look in and see. And he's stricken down. David is angry about it. But it was David's fault. Because he didn't do his research. So he takes him three months to figure this out. Three months. We're like, look, we're on three years. We've had three years to figure this glory thing out. And now the fuse is burning. And it's just about to blow. So, so, so David comes back. They, he hears reports now that they, it, when, it, when it stumbled, they actually left it at the house of Obed-Edom. Now the reports are that all of his crops, all of Obed-Edom's crops are flourishing. There's, there's just, it's like, 
the grass is greener and taller and the trees are thicker and the fruit is juicier and the, all of the produce is, is you know, there are stories of a revival that was happening in Argentina and South America. And in the community where revival was being poured out, it was the same story. I mean, we're talking about in the last 20 years where fruit was just like crazy, enormous in comparison to the usual size where the glory of God was present. The, the, the natural crops flourished. I just promise you that when the glory of God takes up residence at Dwell Church as a place of habitation, all that we do, all of our businesses will flourish. Not so that we can rejoice in how much money we're making because we're flourishing, but I'm telling you because the glory of God brings flourishing crops. If you're in construction, you're going to get invited to do work when everybody else is getting shut down. Just Jesus. We're, we're, after, we're after the fire of Jesus. You read from Revelations 5. I love, here we are with the fire again. John is on the island of Patmos. They tried to kill him. He wouldn't die, so he just prays in a cave. He prays and prays until the fire comes, literally. Literally, he hears a voice. He hears a sound, and he turns to see the voice. I love that terminology, the way he wrote it. He turned to see the voice, and it was him. And his eyes were aflame. His feet were, were glowing like bronze on fire. This man of fire, this vision, this all-consuming fire. John saw him, and then he saw him again. He saw there were seven letters that he, that he wrote to the seven churches, and then he is invited to come up higher, and he sees him. And then there are seven uh, seals that are broken, just judgment poured out in the earth and at the end of the seventh judgment he sees him again the fiery face of Jesus and then there are seven trumpet blasts more more judgments poured out on the earth but then he sees him again the answer to every tribulation the answer to every judgment is the face in the fire of Jesus and then there are seven bowls of wrath poured out in the earth and then he sees him again the fiery face of God and then he sees him again on a white horse with white hair and fiery bright eyes. And when he speaks, the, the, his voice is a sword that annihilates the enemies of God. The people following him also on white horses are dressed in white linen. They're not even dressed for war. They're just dressed as priests unto God because there is no war to be fought because the tongue of Jesus releases a sword that destroys the enemy. The fire of Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have 
all this world. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. 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 Let us see him again. We, 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 we follow the news and we hear crazy reports of a pandemic. But then we see him again. There's crazy things happening in the world of politics. But then we see him again. Then we gather. We gather Sunday becomes the most important day of our life. And we're going to now have a building that we can also come on Wednesdays and see him again. And then and the secret is that you learn to see him on your own. That when you get home, that you can see him in your closet. That you can see him in your dream. You become so obsessed with him. That's all you want is more of Jesus. And you're so infected with the virus of the Holy Ghost. That when you gather on Sundays, you enter with thanksgiving already in your heart because you've been seeing him every day. And when you come together, this, this explosion of unity, this oneness of the people of God that gather with one mind, one heart to see Jesus, and he shows up, and the glory of God comes, and you see him again, just Jesus, just Jesus. So, so this is how I want to end. I'm just going to, I'm just going to get here on my knees and I'm going to take just a couple of minutes, just a couple of minutes to cry out for the fuse to burn up and get to the explosive place. And I just wonder who will come Join me. Who, this is the altar call. Who, who will come join me and get on your knees with your pastor and, and, and decide this is what I want. You want more of Jesus? I want what you want. I want to have it. So, so if you want to, this is the response. You can, you can do it right where you are. If you want to come to the front. And let's just take a season, a few moments to pursue him in our own way, in our own place of surrender. Come, come, come join us. Come join the pursuit of the face and the fire of God. If this is what you want to see as a people, as a united effort to pursue the release of God's presence in the earth, join me. Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world. I just want you. I just want you, Jesus. I just want you. Just you. Just you. I don't want a building as a trophy of what man can accomplish. I want a building that will be a place of habitation for the presence of Jesus. That our reputation 
will be, I must see Jesus. I must have Jesus. And I hear that he's over on Bethany Drive. Lord, we know you're omnipresent. You're everywhere all the time. But there are places and times where you concentrate more of yourself in particular geographical locations. And God, we have listened to your voice and in our pursuit, we trust that you are meeting us, that there will be a head-on collision with the people of Dwell and all who who come to check it out, the head-on collision with the people of Dwell and the face of God. The fiery eyes of the face of Jesus will be our encounter and it will cause repentance. It will cause a cleansing. It will cause everything that can be shaken to be shaken so that nothing remains except Jesus, that our flesh becomes destroyed and and broken and only Jesus, just Jesus will be seen and revealed. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.